Amen. If you have a Bible where you are, or they'll put it on the screen here, I want to read from two different passages as I begin this morning. The first one's going to be in Genesis chapter 3. I will begin reading with verse number 7. And then we're going to go to Isaiah 61. Genesis 3 and verse number 7. And the eyes of them both were open. That's Adam and Eve. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I want you to notice a couple of times there in those verses the word hid. He hid himself. They hid themselves from the Lord. And then going to Isaiah 61 in verse number 10. word of the Lord says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. I will be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me. With the garments of salvation, he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning. and I want to pose a question to you. Hidden or covered? Hidden or covered? Father, I thank you so much for your presence that we feel today. God, it is so amazing that in the midst of all the uncertainty we are experiencing right now and in the midst of what seems to be a changing world and who knows, once this is all over with and we go back to normal, what normal will be. I am so glad, God, to know that you don't change. That no matter what changes in our world, you remain the same. And we have felt that, we have experienced that here this morning. And I believe those watching have felt and experienced that where they are. And I thank you for that, God. And I pray now, I know you've already ministered in a great way. I know your spirit has already done some things during our time of worship. But I'm asking you to continue ministering this morning. And I pray that you would now do that through your word. That you would speak to hearts and lives today. I pray, God, not only those that are watching right now, but I pray in the future those that may come across the archive video of this service that you would even in that moment speak to them that they would hear a word from you i trust you today god i depend on you today for your anointing in the name of the lord jesus christ in jesus name amen praise god hidden or Covered. I know the word hide and cover are very familiar words. They're not any kind of unusual words in our vocabulary. We may not use them every day, but they are familiar. In fact, the word hide is 
a word that most of the kids are pretty familiar with because one of the age-old games that we all love to play or love to play as a kid is hide-and-seek. So I know these are not unfamiliar words, but just for the sake of context, I, I want to read to you the, the, the definition, the Webster's definition of these words. The word hide means to put out of sight. It means to conceal for shelter or protection. It means to keep secret or it means to screen from or as if from view. And then the word cover means to guard from attack, to afford protection or security to, to lay or spread something over, to spread over, to place or set a cover or covering over. Now let me just, let me just say that the context of these two words in and of themselves are not necessarily negative. And in fact, if you were, if you were to do a, a, uh, a concordance search in your Bible of the word hid, you would find, you actually can find the word hid used in, in some positive contexts of, of, of God hiding us. The scripture says we are hid with Christ. And so I, I, I just, I guess full disclosure, I am not preaching this morning that, that the, the, the context of each of these words is automatically negative or positive, but I, I do want to preach to you this morning and in the context of this message, I, I, I would say the word hid in the context of this is, is, is negative and the word cover is positive. We see it demonstrated in, in the, in the first verses we read where Adam and Eve had disobeyed God and they had eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and, and, uh, they had violated the, the, the one, uh, the one forbidden thing that, that God had put in the garden. They had violated the instruction and, they had eaten of it. And so God comes and He comes walking in the cool of the evening. He comes for what appears to be their time of fellowship, perhaps their daily time of fellowship. And this time when God shows up, Adam and Eve are not waiting on Him. They are not awaiting His presence. They are not awaiting their time of fellowship, but in fact, the scripture says that they were hiding. They were, they were afraid. They knew they had disobeyed, and so they hid themselves. When we work to hide things, God works to reveal them. When we, when we are open and honest with God, God then covers. When, when I try to hide, when I try to hide my faults and failures from God, when, when I try to hide so that God does not see, if that's the way that I choose to deal with my sins, God in time is going to reveal or expose them. But when I go about it God's way, when I, when I pursue God's path, when I pursue God's, uh, solution to my sin, He doesn't expose or reveal my faults and my failures, but Rather than that, he covers them. He covers them, as the prophet Isaiah said, with a robe of righteousness. You can find another instance of, of hiding, of hiding in a negative context in the, in the book of Joshua, in Joshua chapter number seven. The, the children of Israel went into the promised land and, and the first battle they fight is the battle of Jericho. It's the, it's the first opposition that they face when they come into the promised land. And, and, and you know the story, but in case somebody's watching or listening and you're not all that familiar, just the high points are that God 
God instructed them for six days to march around the city, the walls of Jericho, one time each day. And then on the seventh day, God instructs them to march around the city seven times. And after that seventh time, they're supposed to give a shout and the walls are going to fall. And God's going to give them a great victory. But there was, there was a specific instruction that God had given to Joshua to give to the people of God. And that was that for this first battle and this first victory, they were not supposed to take the spoils of war. They, they were not supposed to take the things that were, that were left over. It was common after war that you spoil your enemy. You, you take his possessions. You, you take his treasures. But God says this first city, this first battle, this first victory, everything belongs to me. And so they go in, they march six days, the seventh day, seven times. And after that seventh time, they give the shout and the walls fall and God gives them a great victory and and they're all excited about this victory. And so it's now time to go on to the next battle in the next city that's to be taken. And that's the city of Ai. And so they send a few men, relatively speaking, a few men to go and take the city of Ai because it wasn't uh, I don't think it was as large as Jericho. And so they thought, you know, we, we don't need as much. We can do this. And and they go, and much to their dismay, they are defeated. And they come back, and Joshua now is in distress. And it's it's kind of, I, I, I remind you, I, I've said it the last couple of weeks, and if you need some preaching about fear or peace, it's already been done the last couple of weeks. That's not the focus of the message today. But I, I will remind you, those of you that may continue to be on some ups and downs of your faith and your confidence, I, I will, I will remind you that you're in really good company. Because all throughout scripture, we can find examples of those that one moment they, they are on the mountaintop, so to speak. And the next moment they're in the valley of despair and they're discouraged and they're depressed and they're hopeless. And Joshua is another one of those examples. They, they come off the victory of Jericho and they're all excited and they're celebrating. And, and now they have this loss to AI and Joshua is like, God, you know, what have you done? What am I going to do you you've brought us here and and now the second battle we faced and we've lost and we're in trouble <laughs> how quickly we can go from faith and confidence to fear and doubt but thankfully God is patient and kind and so this is the context of the verses that we're about to read in chapter 7 and we'll start reading with with verse number 20. Joshua had prayed and God responds and he says, the problem is somebody has disobeyed. Somebody has violated the the commandment that I gave that nothing was to be taken. So they gather everyone together and the Bible says, and Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them, and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran unto the tent and behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. You know, one of of the simple symptoms to know that you're doing something you should not be doing is, is when you feel the need to hide what you're doing. When you feel the need to have to sneak to do something, when when you feel the need to have to hide what you did, it's a really good indicator you probably should not have done 
what you did. It's kind of sad that Achan sees this garment. He, he sees this silver and this gold and, and, uh, he is tempted by them and he's tempted to the point that he takes them and yet he can't even enjoy them. All he can do is go bury them. He goes and hides them in his tent because he knows that he has done wrong. He, he knows that he has violated. I, I don't know. Perhaps the thinking of Achan was maybe I'll, I'll get these things. I'll hide them and all of this will pass over and no one will know that I took these. And, and finally, after we've accumulated more spoils of war, I can, I can take them out and nobody will know that they actually came from, from Jericho. It's kind of sad that when we go about living life our way and doing things our own way, really it's hard to ever truly enjoy it because usually there is something about it that violates the Word of God when we do it our way. The, depending how you look at it, the good or the bad news is this, Isaiah 64 and six. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. <laughs> I don't know. I guess, I guess we as human beings are just, we are so stubborn and hard-headed. I think some of us are more stubborn than others. And yes, I did say us. I did not say you because I think for better or worse, God has given me a little extra dose of stubbornness. And sometimes that's not a very good thing. But we all are kind of hard-headed. We're all kind of stubborn. And, and, and the Word of God tells us some very clear, plain things. And yet we still try to present our righteousness. If I can just do it right, if I can just, if I can just maintain, uh, the, the, the right behavior, the right conduct, the right attitude, if, if I can pray enough, if I can fast enough, if I can read my Bible enough, then, then I will, I will be pleasing to God. And the prophet Isaiah says, it doesn't matter how good you do. It doesn't matter how much righteousness you have. It is as filthy rags. On one hand, that can be a very discouraging thing. On the other hand, it actually could be an encouraging thing if we would just simply accept the, accept the fact, no matter how good I may do, no matter how right I may get it all, it's still just not good enough. The reason it's not good enough is not some joke that God is playing on us. But because God is not interested in us hiding ultimately from Him. I, uh, I, I, I said this, I think, recently in one of the broadcasts, one of the messages, whatever, and then I just, I just saw someone, I believe someone in the church, I, I think it was, uh, I may have seen it on Facebook, it was a picture of a younger child who was hiding. And their head was covered by a blanket. And the rest of their body was out from under the blanket and clearly seen. And yet they thought they were hiding. That's kind of like us and God. It really doesn't matter what you try to hide behind. You cannot hide from God. <laughs> When God came to the garden where Adam and Eve were, and he says, Adam, where are you? It wasn't because God didn't know where they were. It, that wasn't a serious question. God knew exactly where they were. And my best attempts to hide, to hide what's on the inside, to hide my mistakes and my failures is, 
is it's just filthy rags but the the same prophet that says that our our righteousness is filthy rags is the exact same prophet who says that I'm going to be joyful in my God because he had clothed me with the garments of salvation he had covered me with the robe of righteousness but not my robe of righteousness not my own righteousness but he has covered me with his robe of righteousness. He's covered me. He's covered me. Isaiah 61 in verse number 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. To give, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. He He's going to give them a garment to put on. He's going to give them a garment to cover them. You see... As I've already said, in and of themselves, the words hide and cover are are not automatically negative or positive. But again, in this context of this message today, hiding is what we try to do. Hiding things, hiding ourselves, hiding our faults and our failures, hiding our mistakes is, is what we have a tendency to do. And, and God is interested in covering them. But you understand when we try to hide something, the motive is ultimately not the right motive. I, I hide stuff. I, I, I hide stuff because I don't want you to know I'm struggling. I, I don't know. I won't want you to know that I'm depressed or discouraged. And so I hide. I, I hide behind a fake smile. I, I hide behind a, 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 a false front that makes it look like everything is okay. Something that both annoys me, but I also am very thankful for is my wife's ability to know the difference between my quietnesses. Somehow she has the ability to know when it's not just my normal, typical quietness because of my personality. But there's something wrong. And sometimes that frustrates me. But I'm also very thankful that she knows me that well. We, 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 we feel this pressure that I've got to, I've got to put on certain airs. I, I've got to hide the real me. And our, our motive really, I think probably, and then I, maybe you could say some other things, but I think oftentimes the primary reason that we try to hide stuff or hide ourselves is, is really pride. It's just we don't want people to be disappointed in who we are and what we are, so we hide to protect. But God, God covers. But God doesn't cover for the same motive. God doesn't cover because He's embarrassed or ashamed. God covers because He knows that we do not have the ability in and of ourselves to produce righteousness that is worth anything, to to produce righteousness that is of value, that, that can impress him or anybody else. But he willingly has desired to cover, to give us a covering, to, to put on his righteousness. That robe of righteousness that Isaiah is talking about there in Isaiah 61, that again, that's not our robe of righteousness. That's not my robe. That's his robe. 
that he puts on me. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The garment of praise. I, I put on, I put on, I put on the garment of praise to cover my heaviness. Again, not because I don't want you to know the heaviness is there. Not because I'm trying to hide what's going on. But I put on the garment of praise because that is the solution to my heaviness. Luke chapter 15. Familiar parable story to many folks that know much about the Bible, but I think it demonstrates something very important in the context of this message today. Luke 15 and verse number 18 says, this is the prodigal son, this is the son who has asked for his inheritance from his father who was still living and is gone, and he's blown it, and he's finally come to himself. And he says, I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion passion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, the, the, the verses before this tell us that this son had been feeding pigs. He had he, he, he was down to nothing. He had wasted all of his inheritance and, and his friends had all abandoned him or his so-called friends had all forsaken him and now he is, he's got a job feeding pigs. He's in the pig pen. And, and the scripture says when he was just about desperate enough, because he was so hungry, he was so bad off, he was, he was on the verge that he was going to eat what he was feeding the pigs. He, he came to himself. He, he recognized that the, the servants in my father's house have it better off than I have it here right now. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure I don't want to overanalyze it or, or uh, over overanalyze it, but I I think it's it would be safe to say that he's probably in the same clothes that he had on in the pig pen. I would venture to say that he is making his way back to his father's house with the the smell and the grime and the dirt that had gotten on him from the pig pen. (laughs) And yet, the father runs to him, falls on his neck and kisses him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father, and it doesn't say this, but what is implied is, but the father just ignored him. Didn't even respond to what he said. Didn't even give any acknowledgement to, to the speech that his son had just given him. All he does is says to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. I want you to cover him. I want you to cover him. I, I don't think, and I, I think the verses before this that, that tells us what the father did, that the way the father runs to greet this son and, and embraces him and kisses him and welcomes him with open arms, I don't think what he did by telling them to get a robe is because he was ashamed of the son and wanted him to get covered up. 
I don't think that was the motive behind the father instructing his servants to, to get him a new robe, get him, get him, a, get him the best robe, not just a robe, but get him the best robe and put it on him and, and put a ring on his hand. And, and that, that, that was a, an indication of authority. And, and he says, get him new shoes, get new shoes on his feet. Again, I, I don't think this was because the father was so embarrassed and ashamed of his son. If that was the case, if the father was embarrassed and ashamed of his son, of what he had done and the mistakes he had made, when he ran to meet him, rather than embracing him and welcoming him home, he'd have told him, don't you go one step further. You turn yourself around and get out of here. But that's not the response. I want you to put a robe on him. When he gets back into the house, I I want everybody to see that he's covered. I want everybody to see that the mistakes and the failures of yesterday, they're, they're not, that's not what you identify him by anymore. That, that's not what you see. That, that's not what I want you to recognize when you, I don't want him walking around as a servant with all of that stench and grime and the muck and the mire of the pig pen on him. I want you to cover him in a new robe. I've come to preach to somebody this morning. God's desire is not to expose your faults and failures and God's desire is not for you to simply go and hide somewhere because you know you've messed up and you know you've made mistakes but God's desire is to get a clean fresh robe and he wants to wrap that robe around you oh how I wish this sanctuary was full of people this morning and I would much rather be preaching to a crowd this morning than to mostly empty chairs but what if God has allowed this day for somebody that's watching right now under the sound of my voice that you're carrying such a weight and a load of shame That if you were in this sanctuary right now, and if in a few moments if I gave an altar call and invited you to come to this altar, you'd be too embarrassed. All you'd want to do is just sit down where you are and duck your head and hide. But could it be, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Could it be that God has orchestrated this very moment that while you're in the privacy of your living room or your dining room or wherever you may be right now that just between you and him he wants to come in with a robe and he doesn't want to expose and he doesn't want to make a scene or a mockery out of you but he wants to cover oh hallelujah 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 in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus there was no words of chastisement There was no words of rebuke from the Father. You got to understand, if anybody ever deserved to be rebuked by a father, by a parent, this guy deserved it. I mean, there there was so many levels at which he deserved it. I mean, just the very beginning of the story, the audacity of of this son who was the younger son. The elder son is the one that had first right to the inheritance. He wasn't even the elder son. He's the younger son. And as the younger son, he comes to his living father. Basically what he's saying is, you know what? I I don't feel like waiting around till you die. I don't feel like waiting around until you pass on to get my inheritance. I, I want it now. It amazes me that the father willingly... Gave him his inheritance. But then he goes and, and, and what his father, what his father had spent a lifetime accumulating, he goes in just a matter of days, completely wastes it. He doesn't go and invest it. He, he doesn't go and start a business with it. He doesn't go and use it for some noble purpose. He goes and, and just has a bunch of parties and has a bunch of so-called friends, but we know they're only around as long as he's got money. And once that goes, they're all gone as well. 
Better be careful who shows up just because you now have something. The people you need to rely on are the ones that were there when you didn't have it, and they'll be the ones that are there when it's all gone. And, and, and yet after all of that, I find no words of rebuke, chastisement. All I see is the Father saying, I, I need a robe, I need a ring, I need shoes. I wonder if that's because the Father knew if, if I don't do something right now, he's gonna go and he's just gonna go hide. He's gonna go find some place to hide because he's ashamed and embarrassed. And so I, I want to cover. I want to clothe him in a new robe. I think part of the significance of this is we, we have a tendency to identify by what we wear. We have, my kids don't use them anymore. I think we're saving them for the future. We've got a bin, or we used to always have, I think we still have it, but a bin of dress-ups. Those were costumes or clothes that you put on to pretend. You could give a three or four-year-old little boy who's got nothing on but a diaper. You give him holsters, cowboy boots, a hat, and a couple of pistols. And all of a sudden, in a saggy diaper, he's the meanest sharpshooter in the West. All because of what was put on. I, I, rem, I can remember, especially uh, in my adult years, it, it, it's not quite the same, but I remember, especially in my younger years of uh, going to some kind of a banquet or some other situation where I'd rent a tuxedo. Man, I can remember putting that tux on. And boy, the second I put that tux on, my chest just kind of puffed up a little bit more and my back bowed a little bit. All because of what I put on. I wonder if God is into this robe of righteousness stuff because he knows if we'll get it put on, we'll start acting like what we're wearing. We can identify with what he has given us. Galatians 3, verse number 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ. Can I say it this way? I know it's not what the KJV says, but can I say it this way in the context of this message? For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have been covered with Christ. You've been covered with Christ. Paul says it this way in another place. All things are passed away and all things have become new. I, I don't think about it every single time we're here for a service, but, but it, 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 it probably happens, I'd say several times a month, that, that somewhere during the course of a church service, the, the thought will cross my mind how amazing it is. And, and oftentimes I've used the, the brethren that typically sit on the platform as the example that, that they sit up there and they got their coats and ties on and they're all dressed up and looking at them in that moment, You've got no idea where some of them came from. You've got no idea the life that some of them used to live because they've been covered. They've been covered. They've put on Christ. They have put on Christ. You see... The enemy, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, the devil is the accuser 
of the brethren. He's the accuser of the brethren. He is the one that is so quick to point out our flaws and our failures and our mistakes. And, and not only does he point those things out, then he wants to tell us, tell us that there is no hope. You, you've made too many mistakes. You've messed up too many times. And so there is no hope for you. He is the accuser of the brethren. And it's interesting that the one that is known as the accuser is the one that has no right to judge anyone. He doesn't have a right to criticize us for our mistakes and our failures. He, he doesn't have a right to point out our flaws. He's the one that got kicked out of heaven because of his. And yet he's so quick to point ours out. And yet the one, the one who is the judge, and has every right to judge us. That's not the accuser. That's our, that's our advocate. The one that has the right to judge us is the one who ends up fighting for us. Romans 2 and verse 4 says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering. I've heard, I, I've read it on Facebook. I've heard, I've seen videos of it. You know, if God is such a loving God, you know, if God, you did some that claim to not believe in God, if God is such a loving God, why would he send people? You haven't read all of the Bible if that's your perception. If all you think of God is this harsh, unloving God, you, you haven't, you haven't read enough. Because it is the goodness and the forbearance and the long suffering. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. The goodness of God. The goodness of God is what leads me to the solution that I need. It is not the anger and the wrath and the judgment of God that points out all of my mistakes and my failures and my wrongdoing, but it is the goodness, it is the forbearance, it is the long-suffering of God that is intended to bring me to repentance. I don't think any good parent spanks their child instantly when a child makes a mistake every time. I know some, I don't remember, if, I, don't, I think we may have tried this a time or two. I don't think we did it all the time. But I, I know some parents that, you know, that, that they'll, I'm, I'm going to count to three, and that child knows when, we, when you get to three, if you haven't changed, then you're getting in trouble. And I, I know there's some that, you know, you, you, you don't like that, and you think it ought to be one time, and then that's it. But I think there's a degree of, of, of uh, compassion and love that says you're doing wrong, you deserve punishment, but I'm going to give you a chance to change. And is that not the way God deals with us? <laughs> I mean, just think about it. We probably, probably, I don't know, but I think probably, would be a little more motivated to obey God if we knew that the moment we sinned and made a mistake, God was going to zap us with a lightning bolt. And that was going to be it. But that's not the way He works. He's not patient because He doesn't care. He's not patient because He approves. He's not patient with us because He doesn't think what we're doing is a big deal. But it is God's goodness, it's God's love that is the motivator to lead us to repentance. Titus 2 and 11. For the grace of God 
that bringeth salvation. The grace of God. The grace of God brings salvation. Has appeared to all men. I want you to watch this. The focus, the subject, it's been a long time since I've diagrammed a sentence, but the subject of verse 11, if I'm not mistaken, is grace, the grace of God. And so the next verse is talking about grace, and it is what teaches us. That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The thing that is our teacher to deny godliness, to deny worldly lusts, The thing that teaches us to live soberly and righteously and godly is not God's judgment. It's not God's wrath. It is the grace. It is the grace of God. One of the basic definitions we use of grace is it is the unmerited favor. Bottom line is if any of us would have gotten what we all deserve, none of us would be where we are right now. Whether those few of us that are here in the sanctuary or you're watching from home, none of us would have any hope. But grace, grace teaches us. When I stumble and fall, it is grace that comes along and helps me get back up. When I wander sometimes and stray from the path that I ought to be on, it is grace that comes along and says, let, let me help you get back on track. Let me, let me help you get back on the right path. Let me give you a clean robe to put on. Let's, let's, let me cover some of that mess from the past. Let me, let me cover some of your mistakes. Oh, I, I know some of you may not know exactly how to do it all by yourself. We can't give an altar call, and we don't have people that we can call to come help and pray for you right now, but the most important person is the one that's there with you right now. I just, I know, I'm, I'm assuming... I'm assuming some tuned in and you, 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 whether you're a, a member here or maybe somehow somebody suggested to you to watch this service this morning and, and, and probably I would imagine some of you tuned in because you wanted to hear about how to deal with fear and you wanted to deal with how to have peace and, and all of that. And, and, and the bottom line is I'm not preaching necessarily about fear, but you want to know how to have, how to have peace? I'm, I am preaching to you about that. Because there's something that's more important than peace that says we're going to get through these circumstances. There's more of a peace that God wants us to have than the peace that the coronavirus is going to go away and we're going to be okay. There's more of a peace that God wants us to have than that when all of this is done, my finances are still going to be okay. There's a greater peace than that. There's the peace of knowing... I. I don't have to hide. I don't have to be afraid to face God. I I don't have to be afraid of fellowship with God. I don't have to be afraid of encountering God because... In, in, in spite of my failures and my mistakes and in, in spite of my filthy garments that I have accumulated from all of the wrong decisions and choices that I've made, in spite of all of that, God has a robe. There's a robe of righteousness 
that God wants to cover me with. I believe with all of my heart there's some, there's some people watching right now. You've been trying to hide. Been trying to hide things. Mistakes, failures, struggles. But today, in the midst of these very unusual circumstances and situation that we're in, in this unique moment, right where you are, God wants to come and cover you. God wants to come and put a fresh, clean garment on you. You see, when I let God cover me, I don't have to try to hide. God hides it for me, but the motive, the motive is not the same. The reasons for God hiding when He covers me is not the same as my motive for hiding, burying things. As many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. See, ultimately, the most important one that's looking at you, the one any of us really ought to be worried about seeing us is the one that says, I will cover you. I, I believe there's, there's some folks watching right now. Maybe, maybe you've got some of that dirt and grime and stench from a pig pen on you. Maybe that's what you're wearing right now. Maybe that's the garments you've had on for a little while. But the Spirit of the Lord would like to put a new garment on you today. That the Heavenly Father the Heavenly Father would like to come with a fresh, clean robe and cover, wash away your past, make you clean and new. Father, right now, We don't have an altar. Most of us don't have an altar to go to right now. We're, we're not in the circumstances we may be sort of more comfortable in responding in, but you're in living rooms, you're in dining rooms, you're in bedrooms, you're in homes right now. And God, I believe that you showed up at some homes today with some new garments. We got DoorDash and Instacart and all these other things nowadays that deliver stuff right to our door. What a delivery today. What a delivery that you'd like to make to some houses today to bring some clean, fresh robes of righteousness that I can lay down my filthy rags I can lay down my righteousness that is nothing more than filthy rags. And I can be covered by yours. Let it be done right now, Father. Let it be done to someone that's listening, that's watching right now. Let them get a fresh new garment from you today. Let them get a new garment from you today. Let a robe of righteousness be put on some people right now, God. 
I pray for those that are listening and watching that are carrying the weight and the load and the guilt of their past. Those that have been trying to hide, ultimately hide from you. Hide from you because they know their weaknesses, their shortcomings. They, they know they've sinned. They know they've failed. They know they've done wrong. But rather than coming with a attitude of judgment and condemnation, you've, you've come with a robe. You've come with a robe. Oh God, give us a fresh, clean robe of righteousness today. Cover. Cover today. Cover today. We don't have the solution. We don't have the answers for our wrongdoings. We, we don't have the answers for our mistakes. We don't have the solution to the failures of our past. But you've got a robe. You've got a fresh, clean garment that we can put on. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let these unique circumstances that we're in today, let them become memorable for somebody. Let this day be a memorable day because they can look back at it as being the day when they put on a fresh, clean robe of righteousness. Let it be a a day that can be a memorial in their lives and their walk with you because it's a day where a new garment was put on to cover. Cover us. Cover us, God. We can't do it for ourselves. We don't have the answer for ourselves. We don't have the solution for ourselves. But you have willingly, you have willingly provided, you have willingly made a way. Pray, God, right now that it's your goodness and your long-suffering and your forbearance that would lead someone to repentance right now. Bring someone to a place of repentance right now so that they can put on that robe, God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. What a great gift, your grace. What a great gift, the innocence that you give us. 
not just pardon, but you give us innocence, God. You don't just take away the penalty, you take away the stains. Fresh, clean robe. Fresh, clean robe that we can walk in and live in. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. bless you. Hope and pray that you have felt and experienced the same as we have here today. In Jesus' name.